What's up? This is Mariama. And I'm Kilan. And this is Chakras and Side Eyes. Welcome back. Welcome back. Hope your 2018 is going great thus far. Swimmingly. Swimmingly? Swimmingly. Is that a word? I don't know. I feel like I've heard it in a movie before. Okay. Cool. Swimmingly, bigly, this is perfect. Full, full force. So, how you been? Swell. Swell. That's a word. That is. Progress. And we're only two minutes in. What kind of tea are you drinking, Kiwan? We are having black tea. It's just black tea. It's cinnamon tea, <laughs> but it's black tea, and we specifically look for black tea because I never found a blueberry tea. So if anybody has any suggestions for a blueberry tea, please send them because, yeah, it'll be nice for the next to be topic. Right. Yeah. So we are approaching the end of Black History Month. We are at the end. But because Black History is a whole last year, because we built this. Um, we 365 in this month. We will be... Uh, oh my God. We will be talking about the contributions of Black women to Black history, or history in general. Um, the contributions of Black women to society. That's more like it. Yeah, that's it. So... Each of us will talk about three women. I figured we could just like go back and forth. Like I'll do one, you do one, I'll do one, you do one. Um, and hopefully you guys learn about some bomb black woman that you did not already know about today. All right. Cool. Take it away. Oh, I gotta go first. Why would you make the person that's always the least prepared? Life comes at you fast. <laughs> Doesn't it? Okay, so mine is, this one's really short. So, I know that I did mine kind of based on my interests and my fields of work. Um, just because I thought it would be an opportunity for me to actually look into the history of, like, women in communications. It's still a very, uh, we lack a little bit of diversity. Let me not say diversity. We lack black women specifically in, like, high positions, um, in communications and like in high roles, I feel like I'm mumbling, but I have a point. My point is, <laughs> this can be seen as some marketing strategies that we've seen that have blown up in like these large corporation phases, such as um, H and M with the monkey thing, like the the shirt that said monkey. Right. And just like if you really think about having black leadership, black women in leadership, somebody will be like, eh, that's not a thing. So, um, yeah, I did my women kind of like based off that. So my first person is Lauren Wilson. She is the president of Colorcom, um, which is, yeah, which is a communications-based group for women of color. Um, they have um, the large conferences for women to network, specifically black women, in the communications field to network, um, and just really train black women to, like, leadership skills, development skills. Um, and that's and so that's here, right? Yeah, like, well, they've been held. They, they had one last year here. Okay. I think this year's is, like, in Hawaii. Oh, wow. Yeah, something like that. Um, she was PR Week's um, 40 Under 40 when she was, like, in her 30s or early, I would take the back, like, in her early 20s, which was, like, super dope. Um, and then also just being really prolific in like PR and taking rank and like just, you know, taking no shit in the, in the industry. Um, yeah. So again, just, I didn't have like a whole lot to contribute more. I just know that I thought that she was really dope when I was kind of like looking at some of her interviews um, and just kind of how she's choosing to live her life and maneuver herself and position herself in the communications industry. Um, and she also loves Hustle Hard by Ace Hood, which is like one of my top five motivational songs. So perfect for Fifth Direction anthem. Yes. That was my first okay. person. Cool, cool. So it was Lauren. Uh, thank you, Lauren, because I know you're listening for your contributions <laughs> to society. Keeping us with the jobs. I get the color mom job boards all the time. Be watching oh, my job. So it's like a whole community. Like, 
Like, yeah. So it's it, is it like it is an investment for sure. They're not necessarily like cheap. some cheap little cute group of black women benefits from looking up um, some of the work that they've done. I've been able to obviously sign up to like a email blast list and things like that. So right. it's been a contribution to my success being able to read the tips and tricks Got it. of other PR women. Cool, cool. Pretty positive and mine is not. Um, however, these are black women who deserve to be acknowledged. So bear with me for one second. Um, I think that I should probably put a disclaimer that this, uh, this, this case mm-hmm. includes, uh, violence against, violence against said black women. Um, so the, maybe like a year ago, I was listening to one of my NPR podcasts, uh, one of my favorite NPR podcasts, and they were talking about... Uh, the mod- the father of gynecology, J. Marion Sims, um, and a lesser known story of how he rose to prominence. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did that the way many people do on the backs of black women. Those black women were Lucy, Anarka, and Bethley. So doing my best to kind of keep this short, uh, this was in the 1800s. So obviously slavery was very much still a thing. Um, and these women were slaves that were sick. And J. Marion Sims, I'm just going to call him Sims from now on, okay. um, said that he could heal their ailments. What he did instead was operate continuously on their genitalia uh, with unsterilized instruments. And actually, the tool that he eventually kind of came up with through experimentation is the speculum, which is used for everybody to have periods today. So, essentially, these women uh, could not consent to the surgery because we know that slaves could not consent to anything because they were in bondage. Um, But also, after these surgeries which were open for observation to plenty of the white male medical students and uh, local physicians so that they could learn quote unquote uh, they were confined these women were strapped to the bed for at least two weeks Um, they weren't basically given much food or drink Um, they were drugged So they really went through a lot um, and are very seldom acknowledged uh, for their contribution, which was, I mean, essentially their entire, their body, Mm -hmm. um, to modern gynecology. Um, J. Marion Sims, on the other hand, is despite his crimes against black women, um, still idolized, but that's the last thing I'm going to say about him. The purpose of me telling this story was essentially to acknowledge the mothers of modern gynecology, Lucy, Anarka, and Bessie. So, obviously, they are not alive. Um, And so, I can't thank them the way we thank Florence, but basically, any woman who's ever benefited from having a pap smear exam or a visit to an OBGYN, you have these women to thank. So thank the black women today. Yeah. Next time <laughs> we go to the doctor, be like, you know Lucy? Thanks, girl. Well, if the doctor don't know Lucy, he can call another doctor. Wow. I'm just saying. Okay. So this is what happens when we don't do research together. Because mine's are real cute. <laughs> cute on. The, the other I'm about to really teach y'all some things and I'm not here to clearly educate y'all for nothing. Because my next one is just as short as my first one. Pull it up on Google real quick. Pull it up, pull it up. Wikipedia, go, go, go. I mean, technically it's still up from what I was looking earlier. Boy. Um, into who? 
the next woman that I'm going to talk about briefly. Not briefly. briefly. You don't speak briefly into existence. You don't drag it out. Go ahead. Uh, is Judith Harrison, who's the first PR firm to be headed by an African-American woman. Or who's the first woman to head um, a PR firm. It's also the first African-American-owned business to be open in Kansas City. The first major client was 7-Up. I also think it's very interesting because I feel like 7-Up always has like those rap, hip-hop, hip-hop, wow. Hip-hop. Hip-hop. Hippity-hop. That new, that new thing. Hippity-hop. Y'all don't even know about that hip-hop yet. That's the that's the genre <laughs> that Kodak and Little Yachty and um, Lil Pump are carving out. It's not hip hop. It's hip hop. Gucci gang, Gucci gang, Gucci. Oh, he ain't a rapper. He's a one hit wonder. I need that song to come go. We thought Lil Uzi Vert was a one hit wonder. Right. Everybody thought. Right. Yeah. Anywho, <laughs> not for hip hop, but <laughs> hip hop. You know what I mean? Like they be having like nods. Like, or was that right? I feel like it was Seven Up, where the little boy was like. Going into the the refrigerator and he would touch a can and it's just like oh I know rap, what you're talking about I like have different I, rap songs yeah but I don't know I, I don't know if that was part of seven up wait I feel but like that, seven up. that was like recent though yeah yeah I'm not yeah. saying that she created that but I'm saying that their their one of their major clients was seven up it was oh, the first one so okay. like I'm not giving big ups to nobody I'm not saying I'm not giving seven up a pound back but I am saying it's great that they landed that being that they were. Um, a small entity at the time, Word. it seemed. Um, yeah, so I, again, I did that. Come to educate y'all for work. <laughs> All right. All right. So, my next one is less morbid. She's alive. Amen. Um, so, Lisa Perez-Jackson uh, is mine. So, currently... She is at Apple, and I have to, like, oh. look at what this title is because, okay, so she's the Vice President of Environment, Policy, and Social Initiatives, but that is not exactly why I chose her. Helping Apple become more environmentally friendly and sustainable is great, but by her own merit, Lisa is a chemical engineer. Okay. And served as the administrator of the EPA for four years under the last president we acknowledge, Barack Hussein Obama. Um, and what is special about Lisa, besides all of her black girl magic, is the fact that she was the first African-American um, and one of few women to serve in that role. And so... Basically, uh, once she was confirmed as administrator of the EPA, she very particularly, uh, very intentionally chose to focus on the core issues of protecting air and water quality, uh, preventing exposure to toxins, mm -hmm. and reducing greenhouse gases. But in the same statements, she made it a priority to focus on uh, vulnerable groups and including low-income communities and children and the elderly. Um, those that are particularly susceptible to environmental and or health threats. She promised, um, and I, I think pretty much delivered on having all stakeholders engaged in the decision-making process during her time at the EPA. Um, and so, yeah. Some of the notable things, I mean, say what you want about the Obama presidency, uh, say what you want about their environmental policies. However, I think we've seen just how far left environmental policy can go with this person currently occupying the White House. And so, in my opinion, a lot of the work that was done, such as prohibiting offshore drilling, uh, such as declaring carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases, a threat to public health, such as um, stricter limits on, in, well, stricter air quality standards, all of these things, very subtle ways to increase mm. everybody's quality of life and, you know, affect the way that we live day to day. So I wanted to shout out 
uh, Lisa. Yeah, Lisa. Come Jackson. on, Lisa Jackson. Lisa Perez Jackson. Lisa Perez um, Jackson. <laughs> because I just think that's dope. At least for me, uh, for a long time, I thought that environmentalism was for white women, white mm-hmm. people, and then when I grew older, white women. Um, and the more that I look into it the more that I see these dope black women who may not be on everybody's TV screen, may not brag on their accomplishments, but are really doing things to preserve the earth as we know and love it. So, yeah, shout out to you, Lisa, because I know you're listening too. Everybody's on here. (laughs) You know who else is listening? Who? My next person. Hey. Shonda Rhimes. Hey, girl. Hey. First of all, isn't it? No, it's Tuesday. Okay. I was like, are we missing something? We were recording during scandal. (laughs) All right, so y'all know Shonda. I'm assuming y'all know Shonda. y'all know Shonda. No, they don't know Shonda. Who's Shonda? Shonda Rhimes. Who's Shonda Rhimes? Director, producer, all that. All that. Um, she uh, produces, writes, sold my life. Um, but it's okay. I, I changed that so she's paving a way for me to also circle back on my Whoa. directing dreams. She's gonna make it a lot easier when I just roll up in the Shonda lane, like, hey, y'all. And they're like, come to the writing table, and then I create something really great that just takes off. Anywho, so I chose Shonda just because more recently, I hope it was recently, um, she was introduced to TV Hall of Fame. She's the third black woman to do that after Oprah. Yes! But I think she's super important to me. Um, So, let me backtrack a little bit. If you don't know, she's also the first black woman to create and executive produce 10 top network series. Um, and she also has her own production company. She may actually be one of the only black women that has her own production company that's producing the kind of content that she is. Um, and so we know popular things like Scandal, How to Get Away with Murder, Grey's Anatomy, she had Private show Practice. So, I didn't know she was private practice. Yeah. Oh wow. So she's done a lot. Some of them under the you know under the radar, but right. obviously the TGIT or whatever it is. She was look. She's been yeah. Working. She came conquered. even before Scandal. You know the Scandal was I think yeah. a lot of people's first introduction to her stuff. If they right. hadn't been on board with like Grey's Anatomy for years right. and years and years, I think that's kind of when she hit the mainstream and it was like oh Shonda's everywhere. Right. But like if you look, she's been working. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Long career. A long career. I mean, I literally couldn't, I could tell you all the things, but I think we bore you to death. We'll literally uh, just be sitting here till midnight. Yeah. But I think what's really great about her um, specifically is she has a really good knack for doing representation that is is inclusive. And I'm definitely not here to, like, all lives matter, all people matter type of bullshit. Right. But I just think it's when we talk about representation, a lot of those movies incorporate like all black casts where only black people engage with other black people, where we only go to black functions and all these things. It's like black be black, 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 black. And right. I'm all here for it, but that really isn't the life that we live. And if you're a, all white. Right. And so We're if you're a, right. So if you're a doctor, you are not working with all black doctors. Now, unless you work at a black firm perhaps, but are you know, doc I don't know if it's a firm, but you know what I mean. Um but how often and where does that happen? Maybe Atlanta? I don't know. Um, and so what I think she does that I, I think people, maybe not everyone, but oftentimes I think we overlook, is how she incorporates all types of people with all types of orientations, with all kinds of backgrounds on her shows. Even like family dynamics, like how people choose to raise their families, have families, different kinds of people. Um, introducing things like trans rights, like just, you know, the conversations that she's on, on Grey's Anatomy. She's had a, the last, I think a, a week ago, I'm going to spoil it, oh well. Like something about like um, skin grafting for trans people on like their vagina, like curating mm-hmm. new vaginas. And they had one about like police brutality, but like how people at the hospital have to deal with like knowing you're operating on this 12-year-old boy who, who an officer shot prematurely. Right. And that was, that, that was like, one of the episodes. so like I think she does a good way of like incorporating life. So there's like a gay couple that has a kid. There's people that have adopted. There's people who've lost children and had to do it again. There's interracial dating. There's black love. Um, like the the head of the hospital is a black woman who's married with a child. Like 
So I think that, like, she does a really good job of writing storylines that are more close to real life. Right. And I think that, that is important. And it's just as important as us, like, doing shit like Waka, not Waka, Wakanda all day. Like, right. it's great to see, like, an all-black cast and all those things. But sometimes it's interesting to, to watch people have to deal with everyday life in a more realistic way. Well, in the context of, like, Black Panther and Wakanda, that was an African country that had never been touched by colonization. It makes perfect sense. Right. Um, but then, yeah, it was great. But then on the other hand, I agree with what you're saying, which is like, for most people, because America is so diverse, I mean, I'll say that I don't know, especially because there are a lot of African-American black people who are trying to climb the social ladder, right? Mm -hmm. So like you gravitate to where power is centralized. I don't know a lot of black people who are living purely black existences. Right. Um, I know that there are some other ethnicities and races out there who are able to live a very like right uh, single color existence. Um, but if they were to single color existence, often the black people are just over the tracks. So yeah, it's kind of, it's my choice. Like I like yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, but also you said curate a vagina, and I feel like you just gave somebody a new like business description for what they do. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So I just didn't want to skip over that. I wanted to acknowledge that. Wait a minute. Oh, no somebody is. A, first of all, I hope that somebody doesn't take it left because curating women's genitalia could go a few different ways. It could. There's gonna be a highly educated pimp out here. <laughs> first of all, I'm just curating this experience. I'm just narrating the vagina book, and that is not what you're doing with something else. Um. Okay. My last one, and I did switch because I had all black people. Branch out. So my third one is Toni Morrison. Oh yes. So for those of you who don't know, but if you don't, why? Please email shockers and side eyes at gmail.com and we will send you a reading book. A good one. Um, and if you can't read, Audible. So Toni Morrison is an American. She, I mean, she's a novelist. She's written essays, she's been an editor, she's been a teacher, a professor. Um, she's amazing. Um, but I'll just give you a little y'all a little background. So she was born Chloe Walker. Oh, right? I didn't know that. In Ohio. And the change in her name was actually inspired by her baptism or uh I read it somewhere. Um, essentially, oh, there we go. Took the baptismal name Anthony after St. Anthony, which led to her nickname Tony. Ah, so voila. that happened uh, at 12. So it was very early on in life. And so Tony sucks. Um, throughout school, she was very involved. Debate team, yearbook staff, drama club. Tony Morrison is an alumna of Howard University in Washington, D.C. That is a historically black college. She graduated with a bachelor's degree in English and then went on to get a master of arts from Cornell. Um, she taught for a while. And actually, she taught at Texas Southern University, another HBCU, mm -hmm. and then went back to Howard to teach. And then... H-U? Uh, right. And... <laughs> Basically, when she was done with that and done with this man, that's nothing but a blip on her road to happiness, uh, she began working as an editor for a textbook division of Random House. So she was the first black woman senior editor in their fiction department. And in that capacity, she basically brought a bunch of black literature into the mainstream, which is outside of her literary prowess. Like that is a mm -hmm. large part of the reason that she is so exalted. It's not only because she was talented, but it's because she brought up other talented people and provided a platform for them to shine. So don't be a hater in 2018. Um, don't be a hater in 2018. <laughs> so, yeah, she uh, curated a collection of African literature featuring Nigerian and South African writers. 
One she fostered a new generation of African-American authors, including Angela Davis. Um, she published work, um, the autobiography of Muhammad Ali, uh, and other work by little-known um, novelists that basically she brought out of obscurity. So thought that was really, really dope. Um, and then she began writing and publishing. So her first novel was The Bluest Eye, which is actually really good. Um, but it didn't sell well at first. And you've read it. Is that the one with the, there's like a black girl who wants to be what? No, I don't think so. But you just described a whole lot. I know. So I was, no, but then she does something with her eyes and like, no. but she wears Wakanda. Okay, I'm thinking something totally different. My bad. Continue. No, no, no worries. Um, Well, okay, The Bluest Eye was about, like, colorism. So okay. it was about this, this very uh, dark-skinned girl who developed an inferiority complex. Yeah. Um, it didn't sell well at first, but eventually colleges uh, started putting it on their reading list okay. in, like, the Black Studies Department, and so uh-huh. that boosted sales. Um, and then she got the attention of uh, an editor, Second, no- second novel, third novel, uh, published. The third novel, Song of Solomon, is the one that really, really like brought her uh, to the spotlight. Mm-hmm. It was the basically the first novel to be chosen for the Book of the Month Club, um, which is like a national group, literally since uh, Native Son in 1940. So this is like a 30-year gap between two African-American or two black authors. Uh, yeah, so she wrote novels, she wrote plays, uh, she wrote Beloved, which was, mm-hmm. which is one of, like, the, which is her, I mean, if you know, if you've ever heard of Toni Morrison, I feel like you've heard of Beloved, even if you don't know any of her other books. Right. Um, but a lot of themes in her writing were, like, love and history, and particularly the African-American experience. Um, she wrote, she was really passionate, she's really passionate about storytelling. She actually received the Nobel Prize in Literature. Uh, she received... I'm gonna educate him now. The Jefferson Lecture, uh, the honor of giving the Jefferson Lecture, the U.S. federal government's highest honor for distinguished intellectual achievement in humanities. Um, and she's got, hold on, I'm looking for it because I know this happens, so I'm just gonna, I'm skipping, I'm skipping. She basically, she was working, okay? She was working, she was working, and she was working. <laughs> and I mean, she's still working. She's like, still she's still working. Um, no, like, like for sure. I'm kind of funny. I really thought she passed away. No. And like, no, no, no. She is literally still around and still writing really good pieces. This is it. So in 2012, she received the Presidential Medal of Freedom from the last president we acknowledged. That is... President Barack Hussein Obama, for those of you who didn't catch it the first time, uh, that's 44. That's where the, 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 what is it? Pendulum swung, it dropped. This is it. The anchor dropped. That's all she wrote. That was fitting. Get it? All she wrote? That's all she wrote. Okay. That was a good little, I see. It was, it was, it was, that was well put. If I do say so myself. Um... (laughs) Um, but yeah, I mean, if you look up, just randomly Google Toni Morrison, it will tell you everything that you need to know. She is award-winning. She is amazing. She is a an intellectual in the best sense, which is like she didn't become detached from the people that she was writing about or the experiences that she was writing about. Um, so, you know, shout out to you. Because I know you're listening, too. So, shout out to you for your contributions to society. Um, yeah, if you haven't already, I suggest you read a book. A Toni Morrison book. Specifically. Specifically. If you mind. If you've never. If you could. If you haven't, though, I got questions. If you Because I feel to. like it's on. Make it a part of your book club. Start a book club off the strength of Toni. Something. 
No, I really feel like at some point in English class, like Toni Morrison was on the reading list. Maybe not. I don't know where y'all went to school, but anyway. Yeah, so that's my last one. So we have covered three black women each um, who have made significant contributions to society. Some are super celebrated, some are more under the radar, but I don't think anyone's contribution outweighs anyone else's. It's just dope to hear about all of them at one time. Yep. Um, so yeah. Now, mm-hmm. normally this is where we do a butt sis. Do you have one? Uh, no. <laughs> no. I have a very <laughs> short very, very short butt sis. And I'm okay. not going to read too much. I have a butt sis for Oprah right now. I love Oprah. I don't want Oprah to ever snatch my wig, my neck, or my edges. But I feel a way that she's thrown, that she threw $500, $500,000, half a million, at these people in, for, in uh, Florida for their protests for, mm-hmm. like, gun control and all these other things. She's a great cause. I'm not saying, like, that's not, you know, a good thing. I just think that it's very, very, very interesting that you have people like Black Lives Matter who've been talking about gun control, and even not just them as a movement, like organizations such as the one I've worked for for decades now. And I'm not just saying my organization. I mean, there are plenty of organizations. Right, right, if you look out there. Yeah, specifically done work around, like, gun violence in schools, outside of schools, and trying to regulate gun control and, like, people being able to arm themselves, but, like, just altering the laws that we have in place already. And these couple little white kids get to crying on TV, and now you have a half a million dollars to throw at them for what? And, again, I, I... this is not to be insensitive to the situation or to the lives that were lost or the lives that have now been affected by this tragedy. I just think when we talk about, like, A, Oprah being for president and stuff, which I know she already said she ain't running. I know it was a joke. But we, we highlight and amp up people with money just for the sake of them having money. Um, and they get to just throw in their money at shit that's popular at the moment. It becomes, like, really gross to me as a personal thing. I feel like... That money could have been better suited for a lot of, you know, for a lot of different purposes. And I don't think it should have started there. Um, And I just felt like she hopped on a bandwagon and I expected more out of someone like Oprah. I think Parkland has shown us a lot. I mean, it was obviously a tragedy and it was completely preventable. But I think Parkland has shown us a lot about who elicits sympathy Mm. and also who's allowed to be angry. Right. There are there are a lot of conservatives. There are a lot of people who are pro quote unquote pro Second Amendment who are giving those the Parkland teens a lot of, of grief and drama. Um, but overall, what they have is a really robust support system. Mm-hmm. They have a national support system. Um, that has allowed them to achieve a lot in a very, well, I wouldn't say achieve a lot because our legislature leaves a lot to be desired, um, but it has allowed them to really bring a lot of awareness to an issue that, as you said, people have been yeah. talking yeah. about. Right. And I agree with you, you know, sometimes $500,000 to the students at Parkland for continuous access to mental health services to deal with the trauma from watching their classmates being shot down, cool. If you really want to address gun control, then actually, like you said, that $500 for the students, no. You're Oprah. You could put $3 million in a pack that was my to event. affect sustainable I was also change. like, that's it? Well, <laughs> like, you throw cause, money, that's it? If it's a cause you're not, like, you're not really super passionate or educated about, right. Oprah lives on a private ranch with oh, acres of land that I'm sure is garden. Like, but if, if Oprah you, calls anybody to come to counsel young people, people would flock to counsel those those kids. Absolutely. I don't even. So like the five hundred hundred thousand dollars, I'm just like curious as to like really where it's going, what it's for. But and I'm not saying it's a PR strategy for her, but I'm also just I was just like 
you have interns and researchers and people for you to do thorough research around like this situation. Celebrities do that all the time. Yeah, though, they like, do. To your point, like just yeah. going, oh, I'm gonna give back. I'm gonna share some of my wealth, but if you really want to make change, and it's about strategy, and strategy is not random funds thrown into the air. Like, right. That's not. It's not effective, and. One thing that I think that we can, like, we, as people who want forward progress in this country, however you identify, uh, can learn from people who want regression, is that they have a plan, and they execute those plans really well. Yeah. They've been, they've been planning and making sneak moves and making money moves for decades. Yeah. And those of us who want forward progress, don't do that as well. We get really emotionally riled up and we let go of strategy a lot of times. So, right. I think that, obviously, emotions should be felt and they're there for a reason, but like you're saying, it would make a lot more sense for Oprah to have called Ayamla and Dr. Phil and Tyler <laughs> Perry and everybody else. Because let's be clear, if Oprah if Oprah calls anybody, anybody picking up the phone. So, and this may well be work that already being done. Maybe she's already doing it. However, it would be nice if that was publicized as much as this one-off donation. Right. It was just, it came off as like a little, I'm like, Oprah, you don't, you don't even need this kind of like, Right. So, you know what I'm saying? I don't know what her intentions were, but I just, it makes me, I guess my point is, but sis, like, where were, where your ass at? Yeah. In the communities that look, actually look up to you, where are your ass at when people have been talking about the gun violence in Chicago where your fucking studio was at for fucking ever? Like, where the fuck was that $500,000 when, you know, police brutality, well, I'm not even going to say it was at a tight because shit, we still dying in the streets, but just like, when the where have the fuck... Right. You've been in all the conversations, and, and now you care about gun violence. Why? Because a bald-headed white girl's on TV crying now. She could have matched Kaepernick's donations. He donated a million yeah, dollars of his money. My boss to was different different about causes. That. There's no reason that every major black celebrity couldn't have done the same thing. He literally said, "I would like the state to stop sustaining violence or stop perpetrating violence against black and brown bodies." Thanks. That'd be great. And as a result, he doesn't have a job. Yep. He still pledged a million dollars of his money. And a million dollars, like, no shade, a million, I don't have a million dollars. Right. I don't think I know many people with a million dollars. However, a million dollars is a drop in a bucket to anyone, uh, to anyone on the top She's a 10 people it, in Oprah's phone. Literally, so, a million dollars to her is probably like $100,000. Like so where were these very public decrees of support for causes um, I mean, for people that look like you, and like you said, for people that idolize you, and people who live or lived at the point because gentrification lived at the point your studio was there right around where you were recording. And I'm I, almost positive that shit was in Chicago for like ever, I'm and then pretty, it moved it moved to New York or something like that. I'm Near pretty sure it was. It was some yeah. I'm pretty sure. Either was. either way, I no, I definitely agree. I didn't see that. I didn't yeah. see that she had driven five hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, and, and honestly. Like, sis, and, Honestly, anyone who throws anyone who throws money at a situation in Florida and expects progressive legislation to come oh, out yeah. of it doesn't actually know the way that things work in Florida. So, like, like you said, networks, resources could have called five hundred thousand dollars, however much was raised for these victims. Like I said, I feel like a better investment is like continuous access to mental health yeah. so that people don't have trauma that they're carrying for, you know, the rest of their life right. or can deal with that trauma. But $500,000 to fix a state like Florida, who is, I mean, who is really in the trenches and committed right. to making sure that we stay as backwards as possible in a lot of regards. Right. Like, you didn't even, you didn't ask the right question. And not, not to the right people. And I don't want anybody to make money regardless of what yeah. they're like. Yeah, like, okay, so what's happening on the ground of Florida? Who's doing what? Like, that's right. a simple call. I'm on calls all week but about you know what? what's happening. But you know what? Same thing with, um, did you see the article about Disney giving a million dollars to the Boys and Girls Club for STEM? So I did. In the wake of Black Panther and the 
So they said they was going to be in, they were going to do these centers in Oakland, Baltimore, Atlanta, and some other cities where basically, like, all the black and brown people were being pushed out because gentrification. Right. And I was like, there had to be, had someone at Disney actually picked up the phone and asked. There were tens of probably, not maybe tens of thousands, but at least tens of local organizations already doing this work, already sustaining centers, already trying to do outreach that mm-hmm. really could have benefited from those funds in a way that the Boys and Girls Club, I won't say that they can't, but the Boys and Girls Club is going to be fine. Right. They, the Boys and Girls Club is going to be fine. The Boys and Girls Club, and that's how nonprofits work, right? Like these really like corporate nonprofits get the majority of donor dollars. They get a lot of support. And then these local nonprofits are basically scrounging for scraps. Um, we are and if you're talking for about scraps for sure. And if you're talking about particularly accepting vulnerable communities, you have to go local because you have to deal with organizations who very much know the landscape of where they're working, who know, okay, hold on, we can't build a STEM center in Oakland the way we want because there are about to be no black people left in Oakland. Hmm, where are they going? Right. Oh, let's build the center. But sometimes there. I feel like that's a good PR stunt, right? It's like, oh, let's just build it in Oakland. We're going to build it in a gentrified area where we know that black people will not have accessibility to get to. So we're saying we built it in Oakland. We're saying it's for people of color or majority or whatever the case may be because it sounds good. And that's fine and that's well and that's good. But at the end of the Trifling. day, right, at the end of the day, you're going, oh, in, in the wake of Black Panther, we're right. building this movie. I think everyone assumes, okay, they're going to try and have more Zuri's. Like Shuri, Zuri, I mean, either way. She's black. She's a black girl. Like, Zuri is not, the next Zuri in the context of Wakanda is not a white woman. It's not a white girl. It's not a white boy. That is what black and brown kids are looking up to as a, as a pinnacle of STEM or innovation now. So I feel like sometimes we have to look a little deeper and expect more. And not yeah. just go, yay, but, like, look at the context um, the same way we expect, like, an Oprah to do. Absolutely. Okay. I was about to I said it would be short, but we carried that out. Short. Okay. Yay. We dragged that out. Just dragging it on out here. <laughs> um, so my butt sis is for Monique, but probably not, but not for the reason that everybody's talking about. So, all right. So I can't get Monique off a of timeline. She's risen back to prominence um, because of this whole I didn't see it. boycott Netflix. I haven't watched. Um, oh, I thought you talking about the Breakfast Club interview. No, I haven't watched it. I don't have to. Everybody was talking about, oh, she gathered Charlemagne. Da, da, da. Look, none of that matters. What matters is Monique was confronted with an offer that she felt was a lowball offer. Now, Monique had not been vocal about anything to my knowledge. So all of these conversations about gender equity and closing the wage gap and everything like that, Monique was a silent observer. Mm. Once it hit home for her, ah, then it was, oh wait, hold on, we're all being discriminated against, and do you see my resume? And how if they lowball me, they're gonna lowball everybody. I love us for real. Wait a minute, there wasn't no us a week ago. This is the same reason I don't mess with Nicki Minaj. Because Nicki Minaj will pull that card in a minute. She'll be like, every song, these girls are my sons. These girls are my sons. These girls are my sons. My crown can't fit on your bum lace front. Let her not get an award that she feels like she deserves. Yeah. Yep. I need all my women to stand with me. We don't deserve this. Da, 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 da. Ain't no we. Ain't no we. Let it go. It's not no. Mm-mm, this is you. When you make a, when you center in like a larger argument around you and your things and your personal business <laughs> alone, it messes with the validity of the argument and it's counterproductive. And I wish that Monique had not done that because now the conversation about wage equity is centering her and her drama for a lot of people. And it's, it's also centering wages around women who don't get that. People just trying to live. And, and not to say that she don't deserve the money that she's working for, 
But you but you're also talking about some multi million dollar deals and shit when there are women who can't feed their kids and who are still getting judged for getting things like WIC and food stamps. So that's also a different conversation. Don't be talking about what you love. Yeah, exactly. And that's to, like I said, further speaking to the fact that you are not a vocal proponent of higher wages, a universal minimum wage, mm-hmm. raising that minimum wage because it's obviously lower in Florida than it is in California than it, you know, than wherever else. So for me, I don't care what Monique has in her pocket. $500,000 is a, per year is a salary that I hope to make one day for work that I do. That would be generous. That would be great. I would be eternally grateful to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for $500,000 a year. Um, personally, I do think that the deal that they gave her was less than admirable. If you read it, there were a lot of like, you can only use this. I, we own this material. You can't use this material for two years. You can't perform this. Da 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 da. It was a crappy deal, and that's fine. But if she really loved us and was for us, what she would have done was called all her black female comedian friends. Oh wait, she doesn't have any, and asked, "What have you been offered? Do you feel like you're being lowballed by colleagues?" Do you feel like these streaming services are being discriminatory? Let's do something about it. There would have been a we before she hit Instagram. Right. And so I'm just over it. I feel like people do this all the time. They be like, oh my God, the patriarchy because they didn't do their job and lost it. Or they'll be like, oh my God, it's uh racism when really you're actually just not a great human being like you're a jerk and everyone knows it (laughs) and they got rid of you because of that like there's a level there's real issues in the world and then there's your personal drama now on the flip side i will say that everybody's like well monique's not even likable she's not even fun to work with you think all these men that have been assaulting women in Hollywood My God. are are likable? You think people liked being around them? Or do you think they realized that they were powerful and needed proximity to them to advance their careers? I don't want to hear that. It's not about that. Never in the never in the history of ever has likability factored into a white man's paycheck. Ever. I'm gonna just put it out there and say it, ever. Never ever. So it shouldn't factor into ours. I don't care about that. Okay, she can be difficult to work with. There's other comedians, other actors and actresses who have notorious uh, reputations, who are infamous for being difficult to work with. And that's fine because at the end of the day, they make a good final product. I don't care what y'all say. It was almost Christmas, this Christmas, whatever the last movie Monique was in. She was funny, okay? It was an end good product, regardless of how they got there. (laughs) Maybe it was dramatic. I don't care. None of that factors in to the point that that was a crap offer from Netflix. She handled it the wrong way. She censored herself in a conversation that really shouldn't have been all about her and getting her more money. Mm. Um, But if you're not actually thinking about this situation critically, this butt sis is for you too. If you saw this black woman and were like, oh, she's just, she's being extra. Mm. She's just take whatever. She's just be grateful they gave her a check. You wouldn't like that if somebody told you that about your job. If you knew you deserved a raise because you worked hard or you knew that your resume was long and you deserved and somebody was offering you less than your colleagues, but significantly less, you wouldn't less do it. You wouldn't do it. You would probably tell all your friends. I'm assuming Monique doesn't have a lot of friends because she's difficult. So she came to us. <laughs> was that the proper course of action? No, I'm not taking it from me. I'm just saying Y'all need to think about this in a little bit more of a personal lens. It's really easy to detach and be like, oh, well, that's just the celebrity. But at the end of the day, we're all working. Like, we're all just trying to hustle. We have different lifestyles. But there's probably, if you're thinking that way, there's probably just a part of you that wants this black woman to fail. You should check that and deal with your things the same way Monique needs to deal with her things. Well, and that's uh, that's all for tonight. <laughs> so, that's <laughs> up. so that's been today's episode um i hope that you have had a bomb black history month um lovey always does this thing where it's like 
she does like month by month. Have you seen it? Mm-mm. So it'd be like melanin March, melanated March. Like oh no, like, it's, it's like a whole year of just like a black year. She's like, like this month is not a month. It's a whole year. I'm not about to shave. I'm not gonna about to shave. I'm not gonna about to shave. So somebody brought, brought up a good point to me that while yes, we should celebrate Black History year round and blackness and be happy in our blackness, that the fact that we've even moved. First of all, a woman gave us Black History Month. Martin Luther, I think it was Martin Luther King's wife. I could be wrong. But somebody, some woman was like, nah, damn a, damn a week, we want right. the month. Right. And so even that was like a, a, a highlight and a step that we should also acknowledge that before we were settling for a week. And somebody was and like, this is that, cute. before that, there was nothing. Yeah. Nothing for the people who built this country. So let me look it up real quick. I'll be honest. <laughs> we ain't got to look it up while I'm on the phone. But. Yeah. So, No. Agree. I think that there's a, a space and the same way, I mean, the same way that there's a Women's History Month, the same way, it's not as if our history is only confined to the month. What it actually is, is just an intentional acknowledgement. Um, and in my opinion, a way to make sure that the contributions of different marginalized communities to this society are never ignored. And you know that if you don't know your history, you're doomed to repeat it. I lied. It was Carter Jenkinson. My bad, my bad, oh, my bad. Okay, so it wasn't a woman, but it was a black person. Carter was black. He was. He was black as fuck. Yeah, so, um, so yeah. Thanks for tuning in. Um, hope you've had a great Black History Month. Women's History Month is next, so we might just do this same episode again. No, I'm kidding. Um, but, yeah. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, so, social media... Instagram chakras and side eyes, Twitter chakras side eyes. Our email is chakras and side eyes at gmail.com. Send us your butt sis or your yes sis. And we will talk to you guys in a week. Great. Okay, bye. Bye.